Well, according to Momo, they're sour. Hefty's empanadas. Look, Hefty, okay. By the way, Jay, welcome to the podcast, bro. Me and Hefty have a bet. We want to know who says their last name right. I was okay. saying, I was saying it's it's uh it's Madium. Am I wrong? Uh, Momo, what you got? Mandium. Uh, Momo was more correct. He- oh. Hefty, you left out the M, Hefty. It's it's Mandium. Mandium. That's what I said. No, nah, bro, you're horrible. <laughs> Let it go, bro. <laughs> Um, hey, but, but, I, you know, I just need the sour taste in your mouth, bro. Hey, but you know just what? Like, like my empanadas, bro. Like according it, to it does. But your name, your name looks like you have one of those last names that look badass and flyers, and I'm, I'm like. But you, look, know, you know what? Momo was trying to pronounce your name, and he was actually pr- pronouncing the Mandy and then the Am, like two different words. Mandy Am, and I'm like, it's he's not a he's not an A and PM, bro. I made you know you know I made you sound like a drug, bro. I'm a, I took a Mandy yeah. before I got. Oh, the- that's what he told me. He said I took a Mandy to sleep, bro. I was like, you're no, a dick, bro. No, but you know what's funny is like uh, when I was in high school, my nickname was Gay Handyman because it rhymed with J Mandy Am. So that was the pronunciation they were using. Uh, I, I snorted a little, bro. Uh, <laughs> I think we've all had the. I think we've all had some kind of reference in our names, man. My, I mean, Momo. I mean, I Homo, mean, bro. Come on, that was easy. I mean, not really for me. I mean, my my name is Luis. You know what I'm saying? That's my. That's, so, that's, that's so my gov- That's my so, government. You know what I'm saying? It's her boy. Hey, so hey, although, although although my last name my last name is Allende, but they would always be like all in the, and I'm like all in the what, homie? What you trying to say, dog? You know what I'm saying? What's funny well, is all that in I, these nuts. That's, that's right. exactly how it would go, bro. But you know, you know what the word the word Allende it's it oh it kind of sounds like the other Spanish word lleno, which means full. So yeah, vas, yeah, vas. Here you go with so, the fat joke, bro. So you know it kind of. <laughs> Anyways, Paranormal Podcast episode 15, pa- by the way. That Paranormal Activities Podcast episode 15. We were off one yesterday, but we were on the last one. It's fucking, it is what it is. It is what it is. Well, so, I, I know uh, today is a, a solemn day for Momo, and I am so happy and honored that you have decided to include me on channeling the newly departed spirit of Eddie Van Halen. Oh my gosh, what a horrible... Horrible loss today, man. We lost. Yeah, Eddie you know what? I didn't even know. I didn't even know he had passed because I was working earlier. And then Momo posted a picture of what I thought were Converse, and he was like, "Rest in peace," you know, EVH. And I was like, "Who died?" And then he was like, "Eddie Van Halen." He gave me these shoes, and I was like, "Are you?" Because I hadn't been on the phone, so I didn't even know till like about one o'clock. And yeah, uh, I crazy. was at work today, uh, and I got the news, and I wanted to mourn because I'm a I'm a big Van Halen fan, and. Uh, but here's what I, I, I Momo knows is uh, I work for a black television show, Hefty, and you don't exactly get to mourn Eddie Van Halen when you work mm. on a television show. <laughs> I mean, you could mourn internally, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I, had to, I had to try to explain it. Uh, it's it's the guy who did the Beat It solo. It's, it's the guy who made, yeah, exactly. It's the guy who went in there and one take, by the way, one take right. did, did the whole Beat It thing and just took off. And, and like, you know what? He never got money for it, bro. You're like, you're like, picture this. Kind of like when Michael Jackson died, right, guys? This is while, where we're going over here. While Michael was touching the little boys, this <laughs> yeah. white man came yeah, in. was off doing this great <laughs> riff <laughs> on this Eddie Van Halen was out there touching souls. There you, you go. know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it, it's, it's a sad day for rock and roll, for guitar gods, for everybody who was into this music because, hey, man, we're, we're getting old, bro. All of us. We're seeing people that we thought were old 
like heroes, 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 just transitioning, man, and that's fucking crazy. And a, and a guy that I that you know that Jay, he you know you you've been a, a loyal comedy store brother, from what I know. Yeah, uh, I, I work I worked there for um, I think eight or nine years, like the better part of the 2010s. I was there starting yeah, in 2010. Um, that's before everybody got you know all all fucking dicky on everybody and started being weird. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know, man. The comedy store's always been clicky to me, dude. That's what, what's his name? What's the guy's name? The dude that always wanted to help help your career out. Uh, what was his name, man? Some dude well, that was just a... hung, he just hung out at the comedy store. Oh, he didn't work there? And he, yeah. he was always trying to pull something? Um, yeah. What's his name, was he, dude? Was he an older guy? Like Yeah, yeah. To, older like guy. He tried to be Richard Pryor's uh, limo driver, that guy? Yeah, yeah. What's his name? Um, Johnny Zapp. Johnny Zapp, bro. Johnny Zapp one time pulled me aside and told me, this is what you're going to do, Momo. You're going to save $100 every, every month. You're going to invest that money into going to all these special events, and that's when you'll make it, kid. It was hilarious. Yeah, and, uh, that guy used to come by all the time, and we knew, we'd always be like, who is this old guy? He's always here, acts like he owns the place, and it's only, the only answer anyone ever has, like, he used to be Richard Pryor's limo driver back in the day. That's crazy. And and I mean everybody had that claim at the comedy store. Everybody was that was hung out there was somebody. Yeah, uh, everybody at some point was Polly Shore's assistant, even if it was for like half a day. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. I've all like it's always like, you know, I was this person or I was with this person or I came up with this person kind of situation. You know, I remember they never let me in there one time. One time I was I was doing the. I mean, when I first started, man, it was like 15 years ago, I started doing the belly room. You know, that's where you would go hit up that girl, Crazy Cindy, and she'd right. give you, she'd give you, she'd give you some it. time. She'd be like, hey, remember that? She'd be like, I have an industry show. It's yeah. all industry. You're going to come up. There's people from all over TV shows that be here. Come out, do some time, and if they like you, they'll probably choose you for the TV show. So, of course, I told my whole family, everybody, I call everybody, you know, and, you know, they all show up. They all had to pay five bucks. And then they had to pay fucking twenty five dollars in parking, and then they had to pay a two drink minimum. And they put me up at two in the morning when all the comics, all the raiders went up, and uh, it was horrible. I think I just bombed in front of like seventeen people. Yeah, that she always pulled a scam like that. And, and the, the, I remember when she got me once, and she would name specific like agents from agencies and execs from from networks and stuff. And so if you look them up, you're like, oh wow, this person actually works there. They're never coming. She just knew to say their names. And, oh, it, yeah. and it sounded real. It sounded legit. Uh, well, she would always. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, one time, one time, I because she always had a fresh roster of like 30 comics every week. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh. how is she conning this many people every week? At one time, uh, I was at an AA meeting because I had court mandated AA, and she, uh, I saw her at the meeting. Uh, I just violated the anonymous part. My bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so she she went up to somebody after the meeting and she was like hey your share in the meeting was hilarious have you ever thought about doing stand-up comedy and that's how she would recruit people to do her show wow wow that's nuts man i did it and then her show her lineup was uh was uh set up to like whoever brought more people would go on earlier you know what i'm saying yeah like I, so like i did her show well she caught me one time too and I had about six people go, and I was like, all right, cool. Because, you know, for me, it was like, all right, cool. It's Comedy Store, six yeah. people, 10, 10 o'clock. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, where am I in the list? I was like 21st. I was like, Jesus. 
You know, and then half my people left, and I ended up performing in front of like seven people. Yeah, that's how it was. The, the good thing is about performing at a comedy store, though, during that time, I guess we got lucky enough to see a lot of, a lot of uh, big hitters from back in the day walk in. Like, I mean, that was probably my favorite part. Like, yeah, I was in the belly room, and sometimes I'll do the, you know, the, the main room, but I would, I would just hanging out in that little hallway, man. Um, you saw some greats come in. I mean, not only mm-hmm. that, you you got to also meet and no, get to know a lot of people who are now considered, you know, top headliners. You know what I'm saying? Who back then were just struggling like you. Yeah, it's sad absolutely. That I'm still struggling. <laughs> yeah. You're telling I mean, me, bro. I haven't even left Riverside yet. You know what I'm saying? Now, Mo- Momo, you are you are a mu- you are a, uh, in a better position now. Uh, than you were 15 years ago because 15 years ago you would have been at the comedy store you were about to go in on the belly room and Chelsea Handler comes in and bumps you and 2020 you, you are sold out in the Brea Improv and <laughs> Chelsea Handler comes in and bumps you isn't that crazy yeah that's funny hilarious man you know I think no matter what year you are in the color of your skin is a big factor and to pull the race card Yes, I will because it is a factor in the industry. We've we've been there. I mean, I mean you've had you've had that race card shined up in your wallet ready to go. I mean, it's true though, but it has happened to us. I mean, come on, man. It's, it's sometimes you know. I remember when I went to go ask Tommy, you know, so I can get some time. He looked at me. He didn't even let me in. He said, "You know what? You're not a comic in my eyes, so just stay outside." And he told the doorman, "Don't let him in." And I was so- like. What the- so Tommy, for the people listening, Tommy uh, used to be the talent coordinator of the comedy store. Uh, supposedly, he claimed that Mitzi had handpicked him and groomed him to do her job when she like was no longer able to do her job anymore. And he was like a a a, a, a failed musician who like wandered into the comedy store one day and filled out a job application and so- suddenly became this anointed human being. Yeah. All, all of this is according to him. And uh, he had this, he was a 50 year old dude, long blonde hair, kind of looked like Tommy Petty, and a very interesting cadence to his voice. So Momo's coming in asking for stage time, and Tommy would say, No, you're not a comedian. Stay away, brown boy. Stay away, brown boy. And then Johnny Zap, don't let him talk to you like that, kid. You got got your $100 saved up? I don't know. I don't know why white guys to me all sound like Bonneville dudes. They sound like you might know that. I was like, why are you doing a Jimmy Durante voice? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> ha cha cha cha. But like I you I've been at the comedy store where I've I've been on the show and then they get stopped at the door and they're like, Oh, well, are you, well do you have a you have to pay? And I'm like, I'm on the show. They're like, Who are you? And then like, I can show them and they'd be like, Well, you gotta get someone to vouch for you. And I'm like, Are you serious? Like my, my name's behind you on the wall. I'm on the line. Uh, never got that. I never got the chalk wall, you know what I'm saying? Oh no. Yeah. No, but but I remember like later on in in you know mid mid career for me, I, I remember moments where I would see Tony Rock killing it, and then little Kevin Hart comes out of nowhere and challenges Tony on stage, and then I see them battle each other back and forth, and then a few years later Kevin Hart's this fucking huge star, like oh, yeah. I, I got to be there in the room to watch all that. I I got to meet some heroes i got to see robin williams one time when i was doing the belly room he was in the and you know that room you could see from the stage in the belly room a little green yeah 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 that that, that, that was uh yeah so um so since we're gonna get into this eventually i'll I'll give you the the history so before it was the comedy store 
the building was this nightclub called Ciro's that was really popular in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, yes. and 70s. With the, gangster, with the gangsters, right? Yeah, the gangsters. Uh, but then, like, everybody played there. Sinatra, Lucy and Desi, the oh. Doors, uh, the Beatles, the, uh, the Birds. Like, uh, it was just, this, it was, like, the place to go. But it was a mafia club. So the window that Momo's talking about peered into what what we call the main room. So that was like the main dining area, the the sort of showroom for Ciro's. And so the mafia bosses would look through this window in the belly room, which is upstairs, and they yeah. would look into the showroom. And then they would see like, oh, that dude's a snitch. Oh, that dude owes us money. Oh, that dude did that job. That dude fucked us on this gig. So they would be able to point people out from that window. And that, that was the whole point of that window was to spy oh. on people in that room. That one little, that one that's on the side that that's like a little elevated elevated scene area now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like uh, when you were when you were in like, the green when you're in the green room of the belly room, you would push aside this like panel and you would see into the main room and you'd see all the tables, you'd see the stage. Uh, I remember one time Chris Rock popped in; it was sold out. You couldn't stand in the room, and I watched his set from that little window. I know exactly what you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and and that and that and the, the room's like painted like split pea green. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. So that room split was one of the. Green. So that that room was one of the prime places for hauntings. Uh, so it's the it's the green room of the belly room, and they said that during the Ciro's days, that was the abortion room, but they called what it the, the bell. They called it the belly room because it was like double entendre because it was the abortion room. But then also they, wow. they had belly dancing there, so that's why they called it the belly room. I was wondering that shit, man. I because oh, you know, I have a ghost. Before you, we get into all the stuff you know. When I first started, um, I remember I was in, in a, a paranormal investigator, and I, I was starting out as a, as a ghost hunter. And I remember one of the door guys. I don't remember his name, but he told me that you know the place was haunted, and I and I was kind of like you know it's an old place. He's probably right. And I remember standing in the bottom of the hallway. Uh, when you go up the stairs into the belly room where you see the big sign. Yeah. I, I remember just sitting there and I was sitting there with a friend of mine and he was talking to me and he was sitting on the stairs and I was facing up because um, I was waiting for Cindy to pop her head up and tell me to come up. And I see this dude real, like a shadow of a dude with the fedora. That's okay. That dude, everybody sees that dude in that area. Are you that fucking dude, yeah. Like uh, there's a, there's if you if you um, look up this episode of Unsolved Mystery. Oh, I, I just got now. fucking chills right now, bro. I just got fucking hey. chills on my body. But uh, I don't know. I don't know the comedy store like the layout. But from what I've heard, like uh, it has a basement, right? And supposedly, in, in, yeah. according to legend, that's that was where it was used to like take care of business, like torture or kill people. I don't know if that's true yeah, or not. So the the main the prime places for hauntings were in that sort of green room belly room area. Wow. Then in the main room, sort of like behind the stage, and then yeah, the basement was the the basement was like the other like huge spot for hauntings. Uh, but if you because all the unsolved mysteries are on Netflix now, there's one on the Comedy Store, and <clears throat> dudes are describing that green room of the belly room, and they do reenactments, and the guy that the the ghost reenactment is exactly like what Momo just described. It's it's just freaky because I remember walking upstairs and i'm thinking i wonder who that dude is with the hat on because i i went upstairs and you know when you go into the belly room into the showroom 
it is so small that you're not going to miss any person that walked in. So I remember I went, I walked up because I saw, I saw Cindy come out right away. And I, and I even looked around and I'm like, where'd that dude go? Cause I, I really liked his hat. You know, I'm into hats and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to see what kind of hat it was. And he was, he was gone, like completely gone. And, and I'm like, that's weird. So I got on stage and I remember when I was on stage, I was talking to this guy who was on my right side on the little elevated area, the little side stage. I mean, where the people were sitting down. Right. And I remember there's a guy in the back with the fedora on, you know, and I remember that must be him. I get off stage and I don't see him anymore. So I remember just going to the, the green room and I was really, I was confused because I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, well, maybe he's like an owner or maybe he's uh, like a promoter. Or, Cause you know, crazy Sydney told me there was all these fucking industry people coming. So I was, <laughs> maybe he's <laughs> noticed. Yeah. yeah, bro. Cause I saw him. He was the was, president of RKO pictures. Like yeah, that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking like, you know, <laughs> he said, that's Mr. Dory Sherry, bro. Dory Sherry. <laughs> so I was all, I was excited. Cause I was like, wow, I got to find out who this dude in the hat is. Cause he looked, he looked really well dressed. He must be some kind of executive or showrunner. I want to introduce myself, ask him how he liked my set. Could not find him. Went into the, the green room and, I, and then uh, I asked around. And I think it was, uh, what's his name? Uh, is, it, is it, last name is Hamilton. Oh, Argus. Argus Hamilton. He's Argus the, Hamilton. He's the, what, he's, uh, he's the, he calls himself the last remaining Confederate statue at oh. the comedy store. Well, who, I, I think I asked him, I'm like, did you see something? He was like, Oh, you saw a guy with the hat? You saw the ghost or what? And I thought he was just joking around. You know? No. And I thought he was like, yeah. like a ghost. And then it was later on when I told the door guy the same situation. Like, hey, man, who's this guy? Like, I think you saw a ghost, man. He told me this whole place is haunted, man. We, we, it, the whole place, the parking lot. Somebody somebody was was killed in the parking lot. Somebody committed suicide jumping off the the wall by the by the the back of the comedy store. I mean, they were telling me all these stories. And, oh yeah, I heard yeah. about the the comic that tried to jump from the hotel through the roof yeah. of the comedy store. Landed in the parking lot. Yeah, um, and he uh, when they found him, he had a note that said, "My name is Steve Lubetkin. I used to work at the comedy store." Is this the guy that supposedly uh, his stuff was done by Robin Williams? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he. I don't know. Um, I actually just finished reading that book about the comedy store, uh, rereading it uh, about a month ago. I'm sh I don't remember if they said he actually what had material stolen by Robin or if he believed he had material stolen by Robin because Robin was stealing everybody's material. Yeah. Had no and idea whose material he was stealing. So people would just like get people would just be like, "Hey Robin, you did my bit on some talk show the other day," and he would just plop down cash. He would never question it. He would never. He'd just be like, "Yeah, I probably did." Yeah. Yeah. He. I heard he was like that. He would just give checks out. That was yeah. crazy to me, man. So listen, I, I want to know something about it. I know Hefty wants to know about it. What do you know about that basement that everybody says? I heard a legend that Sam Kennison's uh, ghost haunts it. <laughs> I think Sam Kennison is a seasonal ghost. I don't think he lives there full time. Huh. I think he oh, comes through oh. a couple times a year. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so the basement, uh, I remember one time I, had to, I like heard all, I don't necessarily believe in ghosts. I don't necessarily believe in hauntings. Yeah. But. I um, I I had to go clean the basement one time because everybody was fucking scared to go in the basement because they believed yeah. the haunting things, and they needed like somebody to go do some inventory, clean some stuff, look for something. So I was like, yeah, fine, I'll go. And so I'm like slowly like looking through boxes, finding my way, 
and something fell on my head and I picked it up and it was a script for the movie Biodome. So I was haunted by the ghost of Paul Schmidt's career. <laughs> and Stephen Baldwin? Wow. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but actually I did find something kind of interesting. Uh, speaking of Sam Kinison, Paulie had written this whole buddy road trip movie called Sam and Me, which was about wow. him and Sam uh, Kennison going on the road together when Paulie was like 16. Wow. And, he, and I found that script when I was looking through the basement. But there was, um, there was like a, an entity that people claim they saw, almost like the, you remember the smoke monster on Lost? Yeah. People claimed that they would see like some sort of like cloud in the basement that looked like the smoke monster on Lost. Yeah. Uh, and, and it would freak them out. Uh, but the, the way that basement is designed, at some point when it was Ciro's, there's a tunnel that leads up to the houses and the hills. And so they think that that ghost, that entity that haunts the basement, is something from the, like someone, maybe someone who died in that tunnel, because those tunnels are all sealed off now. So no, there's no way yeah. to get through them. So they think maybe it's somebody that died in the tunnels or, you know, were those was tunnels trying to escape. Uh, were those tunnels used for like prohibition era kind of stuff or what? Yeah, probably. Cause the, I mean, the club, the Ciro's club was there in the thirties and there was probably there to escape, uh, you know, uh, to like just kidnap, like, you know, kidnap high, people. High bodies in there, you know? Yeah. Well, there, there's, yeah, a, like, there's a house in the back that it's actually, uh, some of the comics would actually live there, right? Yeah. 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 There's a, there was a house up there on the hill, uh, where comics lived. Uh, if, if you look in the parking lot, and you'll see a sign that says like uh, workshop, belly room, main room. Yeah. That's the property marker. That that house right behind there is the house that all the comics lived in. And I'm not sure if that's the house that the tunnel goes to. Um, but we we know that the tunnel went to one of the houses. Uh, I, I've heard one Kinison story in the basement where a manager was like counting money in the basement. Oh. And he kept hearing voices say, it's him, it's him, it's him, it's him. He's on right now. Who's on? The one who talks to both sides. And like the manager's like, huh? the manager's alone in the basement and there's nobody there. And he's looking around, where are these voices coming from? They're like, it's him, he's on stage. The one who talks to both, both sides. So then the manager goes up uh, from the basement, which is right by, right next to the original room. And Sam Kennison is on stage. So Sam what coming from the- the preacher's background they say sam was able to talk to the spirits yeah that yeah there. that's true i mean he, you know if anybody saw his act sam kenson would would talk to god too right he would look up in the sky and say what you know question god that was part of his bit yeah so, i mean that would make sense too yeah he used to be a pentecostal preacher and somewhere yeah. he questioned he questioned the faith and everything i heard uh, I heard one night uh, him and Carl LeBove and a couple other people, like they did a camp out in the main room and to do a seance to see if they could conjure up spirits. Wow. And it got so freaky, like Carl LeBove and everybody got so spooked that they left. Sam was the only one who stayed in. And they say that after that night, Sam was never the same. I mean, that shit can fuck with you, man. Let me tell you. I mean, I mean, especially if you got like a straight up message. I no tell people. Heard it. I tell people not to fuck with that all the time. I mean, I've done my, my share of things, but I think for me, you know, when I would go to the comedy store, I always felt just so 
depressed when I would be like the, the, the rooms made you depressed. Even when you're an audience member, you, you feel depressed sometimes in that room. It's so, I mean, it's legendary. It's fucking iconic. And, and th there's a lot of nights of amazing comedians, but most of the time, the downtime, it's a bunch of struggling comedians just working on material with barely some laughs, just a lot of, you know, talking to the chairs and, you could feel the energy of, of comics talking to the chairs. Right. You know, so like the, the night after Sam died, there was a comic at like one in the morning on stage in the original room talking to like three people, basically just shitting on Kennison saying, I'm glad he's dead. That guy sucks. I never liked him to begin with. And you know, there's all these neon signs with yeah, famous yeah. comedians names in the room. So then the whole power goes out in the building. It's pitch black, except for one neon no. sign with somebody's name and it was sam kennison's no. name oh, yeah and if you look at the if you look at the neon signs when the lights are on sam kennison's name always is a little bit brighter than the rest of them yeah i think that's his home man i, I mean i just and, and, and felipe Sparza was the one that told me about about sam kennison in the basement um he, he's the one that told me about he heard about it and then for me I never like going, you know, because the basement is right when you walk in the back, the back door, when you're going towards the bedroom, that little long hallway that goes to the other rooms. Right before that, you see the basement, and you just, it always felt weird once you pass the basement. You know, the oh, bath, yeah. the bathroom too. The bathroom at the comedy store has always been. Which one? The one, the one that's in the in the main room. The one or below the... the belly room. Oh, okay. The one, the one in the back end. Yeah, by the kitchen. Yeah. 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 That one, that bathroom just fucking freaks me out, man. Because it's so small that you don't know who's there, and and you feel like someone's watching you when you're fucking taking a piss, man. You know which? <laughs> you know which bathroom freaked me out when I was at the comedy store on the main stage in the in the large in the big room. There's oh, yeah. like a there's a bathroom. You go down like two or three steps to go into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that bath. I was. I got in there. I was there by myself, and I was just like. I cut my piss off early. I was like, you know what? I'll hold it. Like I just, I didn't feel. I did I was just like, nah, I'm out of here, man. I mean, think about all the, all, all the. Everything's made of mirrors back there. So, so that bathroom that you talk about, Hefty. Okay, that bathroom. Um, so when you're in, when you're backstage in the main room behind the stage, uh, and then there's like, uh, you go. To, there's this like, yeah, it's this dingy, freaky small little bathroom. It's like a wooden room with just like a toilet and a barely working sink. So that area is also sort of like another area for hauntings because yeah. the um, that was the hitman's bathroom. So the hitman would be hiding up. There's a set of stairs that go up to the sound booth now. But before that, that's where the hitman used to hide out. So they would be like, if they found someone they didn't they, they wanted to kill at Ciro's, they would be like, hey, the manager wants to see you. And they would tell them that that's where the manager's office was. And so when you go upstairs, you'll see that there's actually a little sniper window where they see the person coming up the stairs and they can shoot uh, him in the back of the head. Fucking and, gangsters, bro. Yeah, Jesus, so, this was hey, organized like a motherfucker, you know what I'm saying? Basically, well, that's what Tommy does to fucking people back in the day. That's what he used to do. <laughs> fucking the suit. Let me tell you, man, that club, as much as it gave me heartache and and uh, insecurity, it also it also... It, it kind of makes a lot of comics because, I mean, it, it, it's, that's when you first learn to perform for nobody, to perform. That's when, that's, that's when you first learn to, like, you know, fucking bomb. Yeah. 
the work I do now, even though I'm, my name's not on the wall and I, you know, I was there for so long, the work I do now can all be traced back to my time at the comedy store. That is where I developed. That is where I built my relationships. That is where I learned how to do stand up and be a comic. I think for me, it was the ice house and the ice house was, it is haunted. You know, a lot of shit happened at the ice house. They, they, I mean, that's almost as old as some of the clubs that are around now. I think it's the oldest comedy club. In it's California. the oldest club. They didn't start doing comedy full time until the seventies after the big comedy boom, like after the comedy store and the improv opened. but the ice house is the oldest venue in Los Angeles. Yeah, man. I mean, I, when you go in there, I mean, I remember one night I was there with Arsenio and George Lopez and we were there all night. Like, you know, they just talking in the green room and I was outside by the restroom, by the stage. And I, Patty, Patty, who works there as a manager, I, she was taking me, um, she wanted to show me how they're, cause they're going to remodel it. This is before they closed. They were going to remodel, but she was telling me what they were going to do. And we went in the, in the, in the room, the showroom, all the lights were up. And I go, Patty, I don't feel good right now. Like there's always so much vibe here when I perform. I love it here. But right now I feel this fucking heavy feeling on my shoulders. And she goes, something's in here. Like, I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, look at all this. You see all these candles. They're all, you know, they're all, what do you call it? Battery operated. And you have to switch them on, on and off. You know how many times that we set them up and they turn on by themselves and turn off by themselves and something plays with us. She goes, this room is fucking haunted. And which I remember, which room was it? The main room. Okay, okay. Yeah, and I remember like a whole night, I, I would notice things. And yeah, I got an unsettling feeling. I took off from there. And then I think that's when they started remodeling and all this stuff. But the other room that I think w w is haunted is the Laugh Factory in Hollywood. And was, I remember... Are you, are you talking about like that, that secret third floor of the Laugh yes, Factory? Yes, yes. And that... That was, uh, was it, it was Groucho Marx's office, right? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, because yeah. the factory it is a little tall. When then when you go inside, you're like, oh, I thought it was taller from the inside. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. there's that there's that secret floor where they have a couple of offices. And then they, that's where the sort of big names hide out when uh, when they come in to the factory. Yeah, I never, I've never seen that. Uh, not until I started working with George Lopez. And I was like... He said, where do you go hang on the green room? I'm like, what green room? <laughs> he goes, follow me. <laughs> it's like this whole another fucking thing up there. And then it even goes higher. He goes to another room going up. Um, yeah, I first found out about it uh, during, uh, you know, uh, when the Laugh Factory does their Thanksgiving thing. I was volunteering one year and they ran out of toys to give out. So yeah. Jamie took me up to that secret uh, floor because that's where he was stashing all the toys to go grab toys to restock. Fucking crazy, bro. Buddy, buddy, we'll get more toys. Uh, and, and and by the way, they're good on toys for a while. Stop donating toys to the Laugh Factory every year. <laughs> Dude, so I remember one night, um, I think it was a Monday night. It was Halloween. And I got a call from Jamie. And I think Cecily was booking it back then. And she tells me, hey, Momo, you, wanna, you want the night? It's Halloween. Do you want to do a show? And I'm like, yeah, but it's fucking Halloween in Hollywood. No one's coming. You know, it, the, no one could even drive to Hollywood on Halloween. Because yeah. they have the parade. Yeah, it's fucking impossible. But she goes, well, do you want it or not? I'm like, yeah, I'll take it. So I remember I called Hefty. I'm like, Hefty, we're going to fucking Hollywood. And I remember we were like, you know what? Let's do a fucking EVP. Let's do a fucking and yeah. on, on midnight. And, the and we waited. We waited until midnight. 
with with Cecily and a couple of the servers. Yeah, man, and and it was crazy because well, actually, we didn't have to wait that long because we had nobody show to our show. Number one, <laughs> but it was a ten it was a ten o'clock show, so we started waiting about a half hour. Yeah, and then the ninety like, minutes. I think we. I mean, Momo, if you didn't do as that many Crazy Cindy show, you might have still had some family. Members I know, that man. Come. Nobody, you know, after <laughs> Crazy Cindy show, bro, nobody ever came to my shows anymore. It's like fuck your show, Momo. It's not free. Fucking five dollars, two drink minimum, plus fucking parking for you to do fucking three minutes at fucking oh, yeah. three in the morning. Fuck that. No, so we, we did we did the we did the EVP and uh, I think we recorded some growling sounds and then we just stopped. We're like, fuck this. No, well, see what happened was what everything was cool at the factory until we turned off all the lights. Yeah. And then once we turned off all the lights, it just got cold, dude. And then Momo started asking questions. And then we were just talking, talking, and the mom was like, hey, say something if there's something here, blah, blah, blah. And then, so, you know, nothing happened. We it turned back the lights on and everything. The next day, Momo emails me and he goes, open the email I just sent you. And I opened it. And then, like, you can hear him say, uh, you know, may, you know, let us know if someone's here. And it was like, oh. And then, like, dude, I just got chills right now remembering it. And I was just like, fuck. And Momo was like, you heard it too, bro? I was like, yeah, bro, I heard it. We stopped doing that stuff, man. That shit for us was like, it was way too crazy. We 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 uh, we freaked out, man. But that was that was a good times. So I think I think, but most of the stories do come from the comedy store. The comedy store has been like the the. It's it's the place because you know they say that a lot of it, uh, a lot of the the sort of screams that you hear at night in the belly room were supposedly the souls of the aborted children. Fuck. Uh, then, well, I was I was actually reading here that um the fedora guy had that you guys see up that we that, you know people uh, seen upstairs is is the uh is Gus Gusty Enforcer. Yeah. Yeah, so they they named this this guy, he's a hitman uh who's afraid to cross over because he thinks he's going to go to hell and he feels so guilty for all the sins that he's committed in his lifetime. What a so trip. They, it's this guy named Gus. Uh, that's what supposedly his name is. And he's like the main ghost at the comedy store who just doesn't, he doesn't want to leave because he's scared. But everybody sees him. It's not like it's a mystery because everybody fucking sees him. Well, and they also says that I guess one of them, one of the mob bosses, uh, you know, side pieces had an abortion and, and she died in the, in the green room or the belly room upstairs. Right. And then that the nurse was murdered in the basement. Yeah, for killing yeah, so, for killing the chick. The nurse is another one of the the supposed ghosts. So the, the uh, screams, right? Of the scream, the torture yeah, screams. Yeah, uh, and I think the nurse is. So there's a story about a manager who was counting uh, the drawer wow. one night, and uh, and there was a server nearby him who was like counting her tips, and the manager just hears somebody whisper, "Lesbian, lesbian, lesbian," and he turns around and says to the girl, "He's like." What are you saying? Are you, are, you, are you saying lesbian? And she said, what did you just call me? And it turns out she was like a closeted lesbian. And I, I believe it was the nurse ghost is the one who outed her to this manager. Wow. Oh, snap. Damn, what, a, what a fucking homophobic ghost. <laughs> and, and so what do you know about the, there's another story here about the three men dressed in 1940s suits. A lot of them are all, they're either hitmen or they're, um, they're like guys who were whacked at Ciro's. Uh, and then there was Steve Lebetkin, the guy who killed himself. His ghost was uh, supposedly haunting because that was like, he wanted to torture Mitzi because he blamed Mitzi for his death. Uh, and then. They got the I, World War II pilot, right? 
Yeah, there's, I mean, there's like so many. The ones that we always, like when, when I had to give the haunted tours, the ones that I was always focused on, that I had to focus on were the, were the nurse, Gus, and Steve Lebetkin. And supposedly Steve Lebetkin's ghost had gotten cleared at some point on a ghost hunter show, but I don't know how much of that is true or not. Wow. Oh, like they crossed him over? Yeah, yeah. Like they, they helped him get through his unfinished business and cross him over. I, again, I don't know if that's true. Uh, true is relative in terms of ghosts. (laughs) It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's so, I don't know, man. Like, you know, I, I, whenever I go to the comedy store and I haven't been in a long time. Um, but every time I would go, I just felt fucking weird energy there, man. And it's not, it's only when, when I see somebody killing where all the energy stops, but once the stage stops, the whole room just darkens up again. It's kind of like laughter keeps that room alive. Like joyous. Even the color, man, the color of the place, it's so dark. It's so, you know, the smells of the comedy store, everything is just like, it really, really fucking depresses you. And and the whole time I've been, you know, I was, when I was uh, starting out, every comic I knew there was going through some mad fucking depression that worked there. Yeah, I definitely think that the the place brings out sort of the darkest energies in you uh especially if you are there like i was there for i think like six years from seven seven p.m to 2 a.m and then sometimes Uh, it'd be like 11 a.m to 2 a.m and when you spend that much of your life in that long a period of time there it's such a dark depressing place it gets it gets the best of it gets the best of you I remember uh, when I first started working there, I used to go to Cabo next door for happy hour before I clock yeah. in. And I I knew of Sam Kinison. I wasn't a Sam Kinison fan by any means. And I remember I'd just gotten this job working at the comedy store and Netflix had this Sam Kinison documentary and part of it was shot at the comedy store. So I said, oh, let me watch this. And I, I started really like identifying with Sam and the darkness in him and the, de- the depressed state I was in at that point in my life. And I was yeah. at Cabo one day drinking before I had to go to work. I was wearing my comedy store shirt and a guy comes up to me and I'd only been into Sam for about a week at this oh. point. The guy comes up to me and says, you work at the comedy store? And I said, yeah. He said, tell me, what do you think about this guy, Sam Kunison? I, like, <laughs> I was like, Sam Kinison? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, this dude that is like, I felt like there was a spirited connection between me and Sam because that dark place where I was in my life and just now discovering Sam and everything was driving me towards Sam. And I was telling Argus Hamilton about this. I was like, Argus, there's too many connections between me and Sam going on right now. And he said, Jay, I can't associate with you because before Sam died, the one thing Mitzi did was make sure me and Sam had nothing to do with each other. So as long as the ghost of Sam is talking to you, Tell him I love him, but I can't talk to you, Jay. Wow. Fucking crazy, man. It's yeah. Like, Sam Kennison, man. I mean, fuck, dude. Sam Kennison, when I discovered Sam Kennison, when I was watching this, these tapes from back in the day, I was like, this dude is so fucking vulgar, but he's so, like, just seamless the way he gets away with it, the shit he would say. You know Dude. how how he would talk shit to women in the audience, but so the, when I discovered them. Sam, when I was going when I discovered Sam, I was going through. I my girl had just broken up with me. This nasty nasty breakup. 
I was so angry at her. I was filled with so much venom and hatred that Sam spoke to me with the, the venom and hatred he had towards women and his yeah. ex and stuff. And so during this dark period of my life, however long this lasted, every year on Sam's death anniversary, I would post on Twitter a Sam Kinison quote, uh, I hope you slide under a gas truck and taste your own blood. And it was like my way of paying <laughs> homage to Sam. So Sam died, I think it was April 9th. So every April 9th, I'm posting this every year while I'm working at the comedy store, depressed. And when I finally like, you know, got out of my depression and I'm trying to make yeah. amends and make my life right. And I'm reaching out to my ex to try and like let her know I have no more anger and hatred towards her. And she's like, well, why, how come on my birthday every year you post, I hope you slide under a gas truck and taste your own blood. I was like, on your birthday? She's like, yeah. Why are you telling me, why are you talking shit to me on Twitter on, on my birthday every year? And so that's when I put it together. Her birthday is Sam Kennison's death day. Shut the fuck up. Oh, shit. Yeah. Damn. Bro, I mean, this, I mean, he's, he's one of the greats, man. I remember the first time I saw him on TV, like as an, like as an older kid. Not, you know, not, not, you know, a kid that I was watching TV was on. Uh, Married with Children? Married with Children. He was, what was when it? When he played the, the, he the was ghost, the ghost of, of Christmas. Ghost of Christmas Past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like. Fucking him and fucking Ed O'Neill, man. Fucking hilarious. Are you serious? Are you, you kidding know, me? Okay. After, after I got into Sam Kinison, especially with like when uh, when his specials were available like on, on Amazon and stuff, like then you go back and watch Married with Children and you're just like, I, was it hard for him to edit himself to be on that show? You know what I'm saying? Because he was so like, he was so outspoken about oh, stuff. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, my, my favorite movie, you know what? I saw this movie just the other day on, on Prime. Was uh, back to school with Ronnie. Back to school, oh, man. I love that's, that movie. That's like his most iconic film role. Yeah, he's a fucking teacher, man. That shit, man. That shit was fucking. And I forgot that he was in that movie. But I, I mean, see, I'm a big Ronnie Dangerfield fan. Um, love Ronnie. You know, he, he was. I mean, just hearing stories about you know National Lampoons when they first started and all that stuff, and how and you know uh, the way he would come out, how he wasn't really an actor, but he he'd give it his best shot, and and, and just. Like these guys, what they went through, Sam Kennison, Ronnie Dangerfield, um, Bill Murray, fucking Chevy Chase, uh, Jim Belushi, uh, uh, John Belushi. I mean, this is kind of what we are going through right now, but but in our way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we have our stories. Some of us are starting to get booked on things, on shows. We know some of us have TV credits. Some of us have producer credits. I mean, you know, Jay and I work for two icons you know for kings we're, we're in we're in the shadows <laughs> yeah we were for these kings of comedy and, and uh you know we've gotten to see things that we know for a fact that the guys who came before us experienced but we also know that the guys we worked for never experienced what we experienced yeah you know? uh, oh yeah i, my, would, my... I, would, I wouldn't know bro i haven't been blessed with the working for somebody yet <laughs> you work uh, for me one happy. day Hefty, uh, here's, here, here's what my boss constantly tells me, uh, especially on nights that he decides to pop into the laugh factory. I tell you to save $100 and, and eventually <laughs> you fucking reinvest it. <laughs> he says, uh, he's, I can never do what you guys do. I can never go up like this. I can never go up to this audience. That's what he says to me all the time. And I'm like, I can never go up to this audience. You get to pop in whenever you want. You have the luxury of yep. saying I could never go up to that audience. Yep. Uh, I've always wanted to get to that 
echelon in the comedy scene where you just pop in and people are like, you want a set? You know, and then just be like, yeah, I'll take a set. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I think, you know, times are going to change. Who knows when we all get back to normal on the clubs. But I, I do really think that right now, as at this time, that uh, all of us, all of us are set to this greatness that's approaching. And hopefully one day our ghosts will haunt these places. <laughs> and yeah. I know Hefty's going to be a ghost for sure because he has so much fucking unfinished business. Yeah, and so much and so much pent up anger and, and sadness, bro. You do, bro. You know what I'm saying? And the worst part is it, it with my luck, it's gonna be at the Ontario Improv, bro. Cause that, that's where, <laughs> that's where I've got up the most, bro. Okay, you'll be there. You'll be the only ghost that haunts flappers, bro. <laughs> the, the Claremont one that's closed? Claremont, bro. You'll be the only dude that in the Yoo room, what's it called? The fucking the, uh, the hallway, the Yoo-Hoo the, room, the corn, the corner with the bus stop bench. I mean, we've all you know done, what? we've all done those clubs. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna haunt Flappers' Zoom room. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> they, they gotta, I'm gonna they constantly have... disconnect their Wi-Fi every three seconds. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I, I've, I've done, I performed at Flappers maybe like three or four times in my in my whole career. Doesn't Flappers you know share the Wi-Fi with Barney's Beanery? <laughs> 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 this guy. What are they gonna do? Book me, motherfuckers! Right. Never, motherfuckers never booked me. What time I went there? I'm like, man, who can I talk to about getting booked? I'm like, well, why don't you try doing comedy first, and we'll see what you like. I went home. I went home crying. <laughs> oh, I got I got passed at the Claremont store. Uh, I believe Rich was the the booker at the time. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, I'll be able to do the, you know, the Hollywood one, right? And no, man, no idea who I was. I think he got fired maybe like a few weeks after that, bro. Hey, Jay, like, did, you get, did you get passed at, at the Laugh Factory? Uh, kind of. I mean, so after I left the comedy store, uh, I was working for Jamie Masada at the Laugh Factory for a, a, just a brief little stint. And then when I left the Laugh Factory, that's when Jamie was like, all right, buddy, um, you make me proud. I'll, give, I'll start giving you spots now. Yeah, yeah. Me and Momo uh, only got passed for Latino nights. Dude, I, I got I got, <laughs> I got lucky in, in Long Beach. I got passed by accident. So my story is one night I show up to Latino night, Monday night in Hollywood, and Joey Medina is hosting. And I think Kid Reed from Kid and Play was supposed to go up first, but he never showed up. So Joey sees me. He goes, are you a comic? I'm like, yeah. He's like, can you do five minutes? I'm like, sure. So he throws me up there, and then he realizes that kid's not coming. So he goes, hey, can you keep on? He gives you the signal, like, keep on going. And the I'm stre- like. The stretch it sign? The stretch. But I'm like, I think that's all I had was fucking five minutes. And then he's like, so I pull out, I don't know, out of nowhere, a 20-minute set. He gives you the light. Right when the switch goes up, I fucking run off stage. I get off, and I remember, uh, I don't know who it was, but they go, hey, I can't find your name on the on the paperwork. Can you just write it in and write your email? I'm like, sure. So I write my name, I write my email, and a week later, I get an email, and I get a check from the fucking lab factory. And then I, and then they like, okay, great, send me your avails. So I just became a regular. I had no one passed me. I just... Fucking right place at the right time. I think two years into it, one day Jamie Massad sees me on Thanksgiving serving uh, mashed potatoes to the homeless. And he goes, Do I like, where did I pass you? I'm like, 
I don't know. But then we just become friends and he starts giving me more shows, more, more, uh, he, you know, they, they gave me all the rooms nobody wanted. They gave me to San Manuel because you had to do that drive. Right. Uh, and they gave me Long Beach because there was too many Mexicans. And then they gave me Monday <laughs> night. And then when I, one time I asked if can I get a weekend? And he just looked at me like, who think you fucking are? Like, no, you can't get a weekend. I'm like, well, you don't showcase anybody on, on Mondays, a Latino night. And he goes, nah, man. And I think Paul Rodriguez is the one told me. He's like, listen, don't complain. Just fucking take whatever you can get right now. I mean, Jamie, they let me host the, when they were open, they let me host the open mic like twice a month, which actually isn't a bad gig because that actually pays. Yeah. And to just to just host that open mic at six o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday, twice a that's not bad money to do that. Uh, mm. But um, I got a rare opportunity earlier this year where Jamie let me open for Tim Allen. And that was actually really nice. cool. And, uh, and, and, and that was the one time Jamie decided to watch me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, look at Jamie would always come up to me. He's like, you're a genius. You're a genius. He's never seen my set. <laughs> like, I swear to you, he's never fucking seen my set. But he'll come, he'll come up to me and give me a handshake. Buddy, you're one of my best. Actually, so Dom Herrera had tried to get me past at the Laugh Factory forever, scheduled for years trying to get Jamie to watch me, and Jamie wouldn't do it. And then finally, he agreed to Dom once. To, he said, okay, send him over tomorrow. I'll watch him. I get there. Jamie doesn't even look me in the eye. He says, buddy, buddy, I don't know what dirt you have on Dom Herrera, but Dom called me four time for you yesterday. Dom Herrera never called me four time for anybody. You know, I know there's girls who do – special favor for Dom. He never called me four <laughs> times for them. What you got on him, buddy? Yeah. That sounds like that sounds like Jamie, man. I had, I had a one interaction with Jamie and uh, he tried to kick me out of the club. <laughs> and I wasn't even performing. Uh, I, my friend was performing and uh, she had put me on the list, right? So I went, I went there, I, I checked in and everything. I'm going in and he's like, oh, the show sold out, you know? You can't come in, and I was like, "No, no, I'm I'm on the list as you know, uh, you know, as a guest of you know the comic." And then he's like, "Let me see." And then, dude, he had someone go back and ask her, and then he comes in and he's like, "Okay, we seat you." And then like they took me upstairs. And I was like, "Wow!" Like I was like, I was crushed, bro. I was like, "Oh, I've done the show here on Monday. You guys cut me checks, man." I know that's that's always the hardest part, bro. I I remember I got banned from the Laugh Factory. <laughs> um. I got banned because one night I, they made me the host of Monday night and they made me the host of Tuesday night, the Long Beach one. So I, you know, I, I had some, you know, I had favor with them. So they're like, one night I show up and I'm like, I'm going to ask them to do, give me a, at least a Saturday. Big mistake. They were so pissed. That I asked, they're like, you should be happy. You're fucking hosting Monday. You're getting a better check than you would get if you were do, doing Saturday. You should be happy for what you have. I'm like, you know what? You're right. So I remember I'm preparing for the show. And then Jamie comes out and tells me, hey, uh, I want you to do 20% of your set in Spanish. And I'm, and I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, it's something I want to try. I'm like, look, I speak Spanish, but, but now you're just changing who I am. And he goes, well, that's what I want. You know, that's what I'm asking you to do. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. But I'm asking you to do it. So I go on. How would he know if you were speaking Spanish? Because he doesn't speak Spanish. Well, I don't know. He wanted to call it La La Latino Latin Night for bilingual comedy. And I'm like, whatever. I go on stage and I go, due to the quota that I have to meet for my sit tonight, being 20% Spanish 
after every punchline, I will say the word verga, which means penis in Spanish. So I was doing my whole fucking set, bro. Blah, 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 blah. Verga. Uh, verga. And I think that day, he was on a bad mood. I never got called again for uh, to, on the schedule. For like about two years later, no, no, like, like four years later, um, George Lopez is like, hey, you gonna you want to open for me at the Laugh Factory? And I'm like, George, I'm, I'm, uh, oh, this was like two years ago. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, George, I'm, I'm, uh, what do you call it? I'm banned from the band. You told me about this. You called me, you called me that day and you're like, hey, bro, George wants me to open for him, but I don't, I don't think Jamie's going to let me. That's what she told me. Oh, man. I was so fucking nervous. I I would love to hear that conversation between George and Jamie where Jamie says, George, buddy, buddy. No, no, mama can open, buddy. Oh, bro. Fraser Smith. Fraser Smith open for him. (laughs) I love Fraser. I love Fraser. Um, so I remember that they I go to the com I go to the to the lab factory. I I'm like, I don't want to go by myself. I'm gonna wait till George gets here. So I wait in the corner, I wait by fucking um green blouse, whatever it's called, and I and I wait till I see George's car pull up. His driver right, let's, pulls let's up. be honest, you wait or are you eating something I ate, a, green I, I, ate a, I ate a few pickles. <laughs> uh, so, oh, so you got you, you got the free thing. You shouldn't even yeah. spend money. <laughs> you fucking spend, I got the free fucking table food with I ordered a water. So I'm sitting there and I see the car come out. I come out. I go in with George, and sure enough, Jamie goes, "Come to uh, let's go to my office." And we <laughs> and he we said, go, "Come to me, <laughs> come to me." And and then right away he goes, Jamie, uh George goes to Jamie. You know Momo, right? We love Momo. Momo, he's the one of the best. And I'm looking at him like, motherfucker. <laughs> you motherfucker, you. And you should have got up there and been like, opened up and then been like, verga. Verga. I know I would have shown my opener. But I remember like George tells me, he's like, listen, just calm the fuck down. Go do your, go do your time. Don't fucking waste some time. Go up there and get shit done. And I remember that's what I did. But the whole time, Jamie, and then Jamie, after we were done, I saw him, I saw George, like, take over Jamie's office. I mean, you know, it was, it was fucking some badass shit to see. And then the whole time, Jamie was nice. And I was like, man, like, fuck you, dude, man. Like, fuck, like, I can't believe that's all it took. But then again, when you rock in with the fucking king of comedy, you know, they're, they're not going to fuck with you. So I don't oh, think yeah. I've been, I mean, now I love the Laugh Factory. Now, you know, um, Enrique is manager there. And the whole staff there is fucking, I love everybody there. You know, they're all good friends of mine. In fact, they gave me Cinco de Mayo at the Laugh Factory. And then, boom, the fucking quarantine hit. <laughs> fucking COVID, bro. The first time the Laugh Factory was giving me my fucking big, my, my big show, my Cinco de Mayo fucking festival, we went to the quarantine. So what I'm hearing is you're saying that Jamie Masada is responsible for COVID-19. Yeah, fucking Jamie Masada. (laughs) Well, we're going to give Momo a show, buddy. But no show, no show, Momo. (laughs) You know, but you know, I I do have some great memories of Laugh Factory, man. I remember I started out with, with, uh, when I first started out, the first comic that really, really was fucking amazing to me was Tiffany Haddish. Because Tiffany used to host um, the San Manuel Casino. Wow, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I would t- so I would go hang out with Tiffany Haddish, hang out with her in Long Beach. I mean, Tiffany was always fucking, I mean, Tiffany, that, that's her house, you know? That factory yeah. is her home. You know, she was, yeah. she's been there since she was 16, I think. Yeah, she started, uh, she did the teen summer camp. We, when, I, when I was there, uh, working there a couple years ago, we found, like, the video of her being interviewed by local news when she was, like, 
you know, 14, 15. Uh, yeah. talk, talk, and she, was, she said she knew it back then she was going to be a comedian. No, she, she's fucking great, man. She's one of the only ones that, even right now, if I was to text her, she'll text me back. She's a sweetheart. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised she still responds to my text messages sometimes. I actually, I ran into her. I was doing a show in Vegas, and I ran into her at the Mandalay Bay. And uh, I didn't think she was going to remember me. Or maybe she didn't, but she was super cool, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, when I was like, yeah. oh, hey. She's like, hey, how you been? Whatever. And I'm just like, all right, cool. Yeah, and my no, friend, my friend was like, you know her, bro? And I was like, I don't know her, know her. But, like, in the scene, you know everybody, you know? Yeah, she, she's always been, like, one of those cool people, man. So, listen, man, thank you for, like, Jay, thank you for, like. Well, you, you know what? I, 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 have, I, have, I have, like, I have the one story I haven't oh, told you. You have about. to tell oh, me. Oh, let's I got go. okay. to tell you this. I got to tell you this, all right? So, back when I worked at the Comedy Store, uh, I was setting up the, the original room, the showroom, for the show that night, you know, straightening the tables and chairs. Yeah. And there was a comedian named Robert Schimmel who had Robert just Schimmel. passed away that yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he had a car, the car accident, right? Right. He had a car accident. His daughter was driving the car. He just beat cancer like five times. His daughter yeah. was driving the car. He, he died in the accident. So I was cracking all these terrible jokes about Robert Schimmel passing away. I said, uh, I said something like, uh, you know, oh, Robert Schimmel always used to say his daughter is going to be the death of him. And his daughter was driving the car that killed him. And then wow. a headshot. <laughs> I don't want to laugh, but that was funny. <laughs> a headshot fell off the wall. So Randy, the guy I was working with, went to go pick up the headshot. It was Robert Schimmel's headshot. Fuck oh, that. Hell no. Hell no. See, that was a sign. I'm like, yo, calm the fuck down, Jay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, believe me, I never talked shit about Robert Schimmel after that day. <laughs> Fucking Robert. Dude, all these guys, man. That's the thing. If, if we ever... If we ever, uh, you know, to like... I think comics would make the best ghost. You know what I mean? I think comedians would be the best ghosts because I, I I think I see the comedy behind it. You know, I think they just want to I think they'd be out. they would be more they'd be more about pranking to scare you, not so much maliciously though. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah. What about like a, a comic like Patrice or Greg Giraldo? Do you uh, think they'd go back to haunting the clubs or do you think they'd be haunting like the politicians and the and the people and the hypocrites that piss them off. You know, comics like Patrice and, and Geraldo to me are the comics that say, Fuck it, I'm done in this world and they'll yeah. cross over. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, they, I think they they I mean I think mostly Geraldo he was more like he was tired of humanity. You know, I mean, and he had a tragic I think he was what? He was a overdose or what was it? A, a yeah, medication? it was ruled an overdose, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to that, actually, no, you know, when it comes to, you know, a lot of suicides and overdose, they tend to be the ones that stick around. I mean, you let me know where Hedberg's haunting and I'll make a trip. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man. Hedberg, Hedberg's haunting a, a taco shop somewhere. Man. So, yeah, Hefty, you will be making a trip, right? <laughs> he's, 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 he's fucking haunting a Pringles factory. Is that fucking, you know? I used to love that joke, bro. Fucking okay, Pringles in the fucking in the in the tennis balls. My favorite joke was the the tartar joke, bro, with the fish sticks. And I got I got so much tartar on my teeth, I don't gotta dip my fish sticks in shit. Man, what do you think is most like him right now, besides Felipe? <laughs> like Hedberg? Oh, God. Yeah. I don't know, That's man, because he was of... up there. He's up there in the one the one liner fucking creative fucking shit where Dangerfield's at. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Like. Tom Rhodes will have elements of Hedberg at some time, uh, even though Tom started before Hedberg. 
but who's like just like a great one liner? What about Papa? Tom Papa? Yeah. Because he, he does that whole stick with the, hmm, you know, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But they're, they're kind of like not stories, though. Yeah. I know what you're yeah. saying. I know what you're saying. But uh, no, man, my, my favorite jokes of, of what was it, the one about, um, about why is turkey, you know, why is turkey trying to be different, you know, different things like bacon, turkey bacon? It's like, <laughs> come on, turkey, be yourself. Like, it, it's just the, the cadence was the jokes were so simple, but the fucking cadence is what made that dude. I mean, and same thing with Sam Kennison. I mean, he was just pretty much arguing on stage with God and with, with his life, with with himself, with God and the audience. He he was having that bedroom conversation when you're talking to yourself and you're like, why, why, why to me? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, fuck man. He was just, everybody Google him. My therapist was saying, I don't know if she worked with Sam, but she seems to have a lot of information about Sam's psyche and his last moments. But she said that in the last moments after the car accident, he was sort of negotiating with God, being like, really, you think it's, the, it's time? Really? Okay, fine. I'll do it. I'll come. And then he died. Wow. Well, let me tell you something, bro. It must be amazing to have a therapist, number one. <laughs> Second, you know, I'll, Latino, wait, I'll, tra- I'll trade you kings of comedy to work for and see if you don't hey, need a therapist too. That's you know, that's true. I mean, you know, I, I think I need a therapist from all the work I've been doing lately. Um, but I, I, I think I think you're right, man. That this guy that and I think that's why he haunts the comedy story. I don't think it's more of the ghost of Sam Kinison, but it's more of the who he was that haunts it because a lot of people, much like uh like a, 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 a haunting impression where, you know, people tend to, um, if they see a house that somebody was divorced in and the next couple that moves in there gets a divorce too, they, they leave this impression that whoever shows up to that house and is married is going to get a divorce because it's just following this energy that's been consistent with people who are divorced. Same thing at the comedy store. Whenever a guy who's been so heartbroken and, and so, you know, I guess wronged, any comic who fits that criteria is going to inherit and 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 just embody that person. You know what I mean? But then, well, but know, then it, in, go, ahead. Go, go ahead. I would no. say in, in that respect, um, it, it then it started before Sam because oh, the, yeah. the, their Showtime did a documentary uh, on the Comedy Store that just premiered this week, and the the closing moments of the first episode are about the suicide of Freddie Prince Sr. and they show all the comics walking out of the funeral and you see the, the grief and how heartbroken they are. And this is the first time that they've lost someone in the community that was so integral to the comedy store and to their home. Fuck, and man. so maybe that might have been what the dynamic shift was in the building that led to all that. That's that, that was a fucking horrible fucking loss. Pretty Prince, Freddie Prince was, I, I, I would say for Latinos, he was he, groundbreaking. He was groundbreaking. He was a he was what twenty two? How old was he? He was twenty. Yeah, he was like twenty three when he killed himself. He was and he, and he was uh, the the first. I mean, not the first, but but pretty much the first Latino sitcom star that the show was based a, around him and a, and, a, and a white man, Chico and the man. Chico and the man. I mean, number one sitcom. He had just uh, 
he just like performed for Jimmy Carter at the inaugural ball. Like he was at the top of everything. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, he was already, he had a, he had a kid on the way. He had a kid. He had a, he, you know, he was already with the kid. He had a wife, but it just hit him too hard. Success really fucked him up. And he, you know, that was during a lot of drugs, man. It was, I think his, was it Quaaludes or whatever? Quaaludes. That, so it was a suicide. And then the Pels family eventually got the cause of death overturned to overprescription of quaaludes so that's that uh that psychiatrist that prescribed the quaaludes ended up losing their license after that fucking and he was on i think he was on a phone saying goodbye to everybody with his agent with his manager inside his manager room. was in the room and uh and I, I remember reading an interview with freddie prince jr the the wife had already left with with the kid and Freddie Prince Jr. had no idea, like he knew his dad was dead, but he had no idea that his dad committed suicide. And the way he found out is he was in elementary school and kids were making fun of him on the playground, being like, ha ha, wow. your dad killed himself. Wow. Jesus. A fucking legend, bro. Freddie Prince. I mean, I, I, I wasn't around. I wasn't born back then when the show was out, but I remember, I, I, you know, once when I was old enough, I, at, a, at a 99 cent store, I bought Chico and the Chico and the Man season one on, on DVD at a ninety nine cents. I remember I watched the whole. I'm like, what is this? My mom bought it, and I'm mad because she loved the show back in the day. And I saw every single episode because he only did one season. They did four seasons, no? No, they did three, and then um, after he killed himself, they brought in like a little boy. Oh, to a little boy, the, yeah, the yeah. Spirit of Freddie, but even uh, or did he Chico? But um, if you go back and listen to his album, uh, was it uh, Looking Good? Looking um, good. If you go back and listen to that album, at, he recorded that when he was 21, and oh. that stuff still holds up today. Fuck. Uh, hefty, fuck hefty shit is out of date fucking last week. <laughs> you ever go to the movie theater with all these people? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, you said, so, you know, Momo, I know you're really close with George, and sometimes I feel like uh, George, George Lopez's way of honoring the legacy of Freddie Prince and what he did to the Latino community is when George was, you know, had the number one sitcom on ABC, he paid it forward and gave Freddie Prince Jr. a sitcom on ABC. Well, what I know is it was uh, Freddie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah Freddie. And, and what I also know is that. They wanted to give George a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but he wouldn't accept it until they gave one to Freddie Prince. Yeah, see, that's that kind of reverence is just impeccable, and that's like, like it's so cool that like you guys have a clear line of succession that you know it goes from Freddie to Paul Rodriguez to George, and now all you guys get to work. So now we have Felipe, we have yeah, Freddie yeah. Soto, we have all those guys. Like for me. We just had Russell. We had Russell Peters, and that's it. We only one guy. <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you still have Russell. He doesn't want to go anywhere. Fucking Russell. Yeah, Fuck Russell is going to stay the biggest, the biggest Indian comedian in the world. And that's the, the thing. The, he has world, like he has world fame. You know what I mean? And yeah. he's a, and the nicest motherfucker in the world too, Russell Peters. Yeah. You know, it's and, just and 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 and. and our reverence, I would say, even though Indians are a very reverential culture, I would say that the reverence doesn't work the same way in, in our Indian comic community that it does for you guys, because like Aziz will probably get a star on the Walk of Fame, but Aziz will never admit that Russell paved the way for him to have the career that he has. No, yeah. you, you think he would say that it was him the one that paved it? 
Yeah. Oh, Aziz will say he he got there on his own all all the way. He struggled. He fought stereotypes. He did this. He did that. Aziz will he will not be one to give it up to Russell. I mean, that's that's Latinos too, though. <laughs> you know, the I mean, I can't. I have every major Latino's phone number, but I can't send a group text. <laughs> you know they all because they all don't get along, bro. Yeah, I can't send. It's fucking crazy. I have all my heroes in one phone, but I can't text them all at the same time. Well, um, just take Carlos Mencia's number out of your phone, <laughs> and everything's fine. Uh, oh, good. it's fucking hilarious. But it, it's just hard. It's just really hard to like to to say that you know we. Us in the industry, like those in the industry, man, we really love to fuck with each other, man. I mean, I I like Hefty. I don't love him. But wow. I, but, nah, but I but like Jay. In, in your in your in the Indian, uh, Veer Das is a comedian too, right? I don't know if I'm saying his name or correct. Yeah, yeah. But see, Veer's an interesting case because he's like uh, he's not one of us. He's not born and raised in America, or well, I guess technically Russell's Canadian, but. Russell really opened doors for us in America, too. Yeah. Veer is an Indian guy. He's a comic in India who got big in India and managed to kind of cross over here. Um, I'd say, I mean, like... He's a transplant. Yeah, he's like the sort of uh, Eugenio Derbez of the Indian community. Wow, look at you. Look at this guy. Pull that, mean, you, pull that, you pull that one out of the bag of tricks. Eugenio's very talented. Like, I love that dude. I think he's so funny and so talented. I he's could, a, I he's could a watch fucking hack, bro. He's really? A, no. <laughs> no. He's, he's uh, you know, I, I was, I actually went out for a job for him, but he, as a writer, but um, they, they, he, they lowball people because they get people from Mexico to do it cheaper. Damn fucking Mexicans. <laughs> fucking NAFTA. Even yeah. entertainment industry. Entertainment, they fuck us, bro. No, <laughs> he's actually, I think, I think Eugenio is probably one of the dudes that really, really well he he crossed over, man. Like he he has the timing, he has favor from a lot of people, and he he knows how to how to hold his own. I mean, he's already done three crossover movies and he does great at them and he, and he you know, he, he people like him. Adam Sandler loves him. Yeah, it's Rob Schneider. I te- I text Rob Schneider all the time. Be like, yo, do you does anyone ever give you credit for bringing Eugenio over to America? And he said, I can't even take credit. Well, for no, that. Well, My you know wife who is brought the one who found him. You know who brought Eugenio? To be honest, who? it was it was Rick Nahara, bro. Oh, our and buddy I'll tell Rick. You, I'll tell you why. It was uh, Rick wrote Latino Logs, and right, it was on Broadway. So he casted Eugenio to play the grandmother and Eugenio stole the fucking show on Broadway. So on Broadway, Eugenio Derbez was in Latino Logs and he made it successful. That's what got Eugenio more coverage in LA. And that's what got him talks because he was on Broadway because of it, yeah. Rick. He's, I mean, he's so fucking good. It's just, uh, yeah, Not- I, I, I guess we can say Rick has built some great careers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's built. I mean, he, you know, mine was not one of them. I did not flourish from the CBS Diversity Showcase, but I give Rick a lot of shit, man. I I really do. (laughs) I give Rick a lot of shit, you know. Um, And Rick really did help me as a writer. He uh, he groomed me when I first started, and he was really hard on me. But it was it was one of those things where you learn why, you know, you start seeing the 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 drama that happens and be Latino. Um, and then I also learned that most of the time, um, 
we kind of segregate ourselves. And I think that's one thing I didn't want to do that a lot of comics are doing was they were becoming too Latino. And people could talk shit about Carlos Mencia, but Carlos taught me how to be more universal on the road. You know, he was the first one. Well, yeah, because be- he's stealing from everybody. <laughs> there you go. I remember one time we were we were in uh, in Reno, and he tells me he's like, "Hey, so listen, here in in uh, Reno, you know, how much time can you do?" And I'm like, "Fuck, this is my first time on the road. I'm like, I could do fucking a whole hour. You know, how fucking we talked when we first start. I could do a whole fucking hour." And then he's like, "Okay, cool, but can you at least do do ten minutes?" I was in Reno. I was fucking bombing after three minutes because <laughs> all my shit was about cholos and fucking Mexicans. So I think it was like four years in the road when I really became a writer and, you know, talked about everything. So I think as a Latino comic, the thing we want the most is to be referred to as just a comic. Because, I mean, that's the same with the Indian comics, too. Yeah, but you guys are funny, though. You guys, you know, you guys assimilate faster. You guys already own stores when you come over here. We're, working. <laughs> we, we're, we're sitting there doing the finances for the club before it even opens. Exactly. You guys, you guys own the shop. We're always trying to fucking... It's like, listen, if we don't get 40 people to show that it's not going to break even. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 trying to get the, we're trying to get the job done. But, uh, no, man, this is great talking, man. And by the way, I'm looking at your Zoom. What is that, a basket on your name? Uh, what? Your Zoom, your Zoom profile picture. What is that? Oh, it's a brick wall. Oh, I thought it was a fucking basket. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the thing we used to perform in front of. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh. The infamous brick wall. And who put those bricks up, Momo? <laughs> fucking, fucking us, bro. Us. Yeah. Hey, you guys. And, and who us. showed up in the Benz to Home Depot to get you? <laughs> uh, those Ecuadorians, bro. <laughs> 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 fucking dude. Hey, the best fucking... This dude, man, let me talk about Jay, man. He's a fucking funny-ass comedian. Like, um, I think I think uh, what I like about Jay is that we, I really relate to him because of our work, what we do. Um, we have to, we got to be always uh, prepared to, to feed these amazing fires that are some people's careers, and we continue to feed those fires. It's kind of like, like what I do with you, bro, when I punch up your jokes. That's true. <laughs> Yeah. So what what Momo is to his king of comedy, Hefty is to Momo's king. I am of comedy. I am to I am to Momo's popper of comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Hefty, Hefty writes <laughs> Hefty writes all my material. Hefty. They don't blame me for some of that material, bro. Okay. All my material is written by Hefty. Hefty. All my all my all my stuff is written by by the the master empanada maker. And, do, mean, you guys, and do you guys have any in your culture, Jay? Do you have any empanadas? We got sir. samosas. That's the same thing, right? Yes, that's the same thing. Samosas, yes, sir. I like that. Hefty, I, I, I know, I know. Being a chef is like your side gig, and uh, your main gig is being a comedian. But I'm, one of my dreams. I wouldn't is go to that start... far, Jay. I wouldn't go that far. But... <laughs> uh, one of my dreams is to start an Indo-Mexican fusion cuisine, like a a restaurant, and call it uh, Masalsa. Oh. Uh... It's like masala, but salsa added to it. Yeah. Very good. That would work. You know what I'm saying? You ever thought about opening up an Indian restaurant and call it Curious instead of Curious? <laughs> oh, God. I, I used to, we, the one that people used to come at me with all the time growing up was Curry in a Hurry. 
That's fucking I think, funny. I think I have one of those out here in Riverside, bro. <laughs> what about a Mexican soul food place and call it Tacolgando, which means it's hanging? <laughs> Tacolgando, no seas mamon, way. That's fucking hilarious. Tacolgando. But no, I like them. You know what? Hey, if you see mas, uh, masalsa empanadas, bro, you already know where the inspiration came from. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so Wait. much for uh, this amazing uh, memory lane uh, dash historic uh, fucking uh, haunted tour that we got. There we go. Where, hey, Jay, where could they find you on social media? I'm on Instagram. It's God hates Jay, just the letter J. God <laughs> hates Jay, just That's the letter so J. That's so fucking Seb Kennison, though, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man, the guy influenced me a lot. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> so you guys look him up at God hates Jay, you know. Yeah, check him out, man. This guy, look, this guy Jay. I'll tell you how cool he is and how hilarious he is. He has nothing but fucking badass motherfuckers' phone numbers. I mean, this motherfucker gets calls from Adam Sandler. <laughs> you know what I mean? You work with Adam Sandler. He's worked with a yeah, lot of people. Yeah, I, I worked on a special, and yes, Adam was one of the people who was blowing up my phone, upset about. Eddie Van Halen. So it was like, Adam Sandler, I can't believe he's gone, bud. Momo, I can't believe he's gone, bro. So yes, yeah, we get the same good company. I get the same text messages that Adam Sandler gets. And now and now over here, I'm I'm texting, who died? <laughs> good shit, bro. Man, I, lo- shit. I love you guys, man. And I love I love Momo. I love Hefty and I, I will always cherish that one weekend we had in Laughlin together. Where I was, I was just gonna bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, fucking dude! I mean, let me tell you, man. It, it was at it was at it was at the the comedy show, right? Yeah, at that yeah. whatever that, that that festival, whatever they want to call it. Yeah, but we we met at uh, at Angela's show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's yeah, right. We, we had her on like two guests, like two shows ago. She was a guest on the show, for sure. Dude, I, I think Jay. I met Jay in the in the what is it that show that that was it uh the 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 fucking what's it called Iron- the comedy get down. Oh Ironic- yeah, yeah, yeah. Ironically, you you ended up coming back home with Jay, right? Yeah, uh, uh, that that Laughlin trip. Yeah, because I remember Angela was like. I've tried to get on, yeah, so Jay Leno was like the show after Angela. The next day, and, he was the next yeah. day, right? And and Jay, uh, Jay was like, hey, do you need to ride back to LA? Uh, if you're in Laughlin, I'll, I'll, you just hop on my plane with me. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take the ride. Because uh, like a year before I was working in Laughlin and Jay Leno was working in Laughlin and uh, he had offered me a ride on his plane. I was like, oh no, I got my car here and I'm still booked here another night. And my mom yelled at me. She's like, you idiot. You should have flown back with Jay Leno. I would have paid for your rental car to go back to Laughlin to pick up your car. Uh, so I wasn't <laughs> going to make that mistake again when I got the offer to go back on the plane. Uh, and, I, and I remember Angela was sitting there saying like she was calling every connection she had to Leno possible to get a seat on his plane to get out of Laughlin. And wow. little did she know you're you're sitting in the green room with her, and she's over here looking. You know what I'm saying? Like that little Indian boy wouldn't know anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Angela Johnson, uh, one of our new uh, our she, dude. She 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 did a podcast. She, she's 
amazing and and uh we're gonna start doing some more stuff with her because she's also into the paranormal much like all of us are in there we're we're, we're so into the paranormal because right now nobody who's alive is paying us any attention <laughs> so let me tell you something this is paragordo activity podcast thank you jay so much for joining us and you know the next show that we can do we're doing it together the three of us you got it i love you guys again and we'll do a seance on stage to Sam Kellison. I will, do it. I will uh, be uh, absent for that part of the show. <laughs> no, no. You got to stick around for that, Hefty. Somebody's got to cater it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I could do that. I could do that. Have a little, little nice. I just got some badass plates, too. Yeah, fuck, your, fuck your comedy, Hefty. We want, we want the food, bro. Yeah, I just, we hey, want to make, we want to, we need Kinnison to come. We need the food. I I'm telling you, I just got some badass wood plates from my boys over at Hot Blocks. It's not a, it's not a shout, it's a shout out. But I mean, I've been, I've been itching for a reason to use them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. you know, you cater it, and then we'll be like, Sam, come to where the food is. What's up with all these fat fucks? <laughs> these are sour. Everyone who's oh, oh. <laughs> people who don't know who Sam Kessler, they're like, what the fuck are they doing? They're like, why are they yelling like maniacs? But listen, aside from being paranormal enthusiasts, we are number one stand-up comedians that are professional, national traveling stand-up comedians that have paid their dues. We might not have billboards or Netflix specials, but we've produced them. (laughs) (laughs) So, you guys, thank you so much. Peace out. Later. Later, y'all.